It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Benjamin Hall, and I'm searching for heroes. Today's podcast is with Renee Hodges, someone who put family ahead of all else, someone who held the hand of her nephew, Bobby, as he battled through opioid addiction and how she brought him through it and got him better. As she says, Bobby is your son. He's your father. He's your friend. But he became addicted to Oxycontin after being prescribed for a back issue while in college. It is a story we hear so many times around America. That led Bobby to become an opioid heroin addict before he then received his diploma. Years of in and out of rehab centers, pain management programs, halfway houses followed. It seemed that Bobby could get sober, but he could not remain sober. Then he landed on Renee's doorstep at the age of 28 to begin again in a new city with a new plan. In May of 2018, Renee published her memoir, Saving Bobby, an intimate and heartfelt retelling of how community and the courage to be vulnerable are the answers to someone's and your own recovery. Here is my conversation with Renee Hodges. I want to talk honestly about Bobby and what happened. But more than that, I think I really want to talk about recovery and community and, you know, what we do to build a better, stronger society and the lessons you learned and the strength you found. Um, I think we all need to know more about that and it comes across so well in the book. Well, I appreciate that. I uh, and, and I can say this in the podcast, but I didn't write the book to be published. I honestly wrote it as a gift for Bobby, but I shared it with parts of my community that helped me with him. Bobby had asked me to write down his story when he left after those 15 months. And and so I did. But to help me, I, of course, I used emails in my journal and I wanted to write a story. He couldn't remember those first months. And he told me he never wanted to go back there. So by doing that, I sent it to my book club and several members had, which of course we all know, we all know someone with an addiction and they thought that would help their, their loved one. And they passed it on and it, it, it became somewhat viral because I started getting messages and I had to go back to Bobby and say, I am so sorry. This was never meant to be. This is your, you know, your story. And he said, well, I'm going to become a counselor. Let's publish it. And that is how it how it really came out. But how a lot of the story transpired, because it's not only about Bobby, it's about looking back at my life as well. And yeah. uh, the publisher a, told me, you have to write your story, Renee, not Bobby's. Therein yeah. was <laughs> the key to the book. It's, it's really interesting, you know, you say that because uh, one of the things I got from the book is that you should tell these stories, that there should yes. be no shame, that you have to tell these stories. And so I'm sure Bobby felt the same way, that only by sharing these stories can other people learn from them? Can other people get through something similar? Or can people who are trying to help find the strength to help? Well, exactly. And then, but then turn it around. And I had to put my money where my mouth was. I had to, I had to put my story out there to the public. Everybody that says, I've read your book. 
I'm like, oh my gosh, they know everything in my closet. <laughs> and, uh, but it had to happen. And so I feel like by opening up, that's really the key to the community and to helping our loved ones. You, No one recovers in isolation. And mm-hmm. that that is, I had to tell this, my side of the story, or really you wouldn't get the full story. Yeah. There's, um, the book is also really personal to me in a sense, because I was in hospital, obviously, for seven months. And there was a phase where I was on opioids as well. And I had heard stories like yours and Bobby's so many times that that gave me the strength to say all the time, say, I've got to stop this. Uh, Even when I'm in hospital, I kept saying, give me less. And then on some days I'd say, give me some more today. But I knew from the beginning, because of other stories, because of stories like Bobby's, I knew that I had to get off those as quickly as possible. And so your story, stories like yours really helped me when I was there. And, and, And on top of that, um, I have a couple of uh, brothers who have been addicts as well, and I've watched them go through it as well. And so you, your story just hit me on so many different nerves. Well, and and when Bobby came to me, I knew nothing about opioids. It wasn't in the news yet. They haven't Purdue Pharmaceuticals had not even wasn't even a a, a, a voice in my head. Uh, there was CDC hadn't put anything out. I had to do this blindly. And by the time that I finished with the book and it finally was published, just then when when, um, it was breaking news. And since then, of course, we know a whole lot more. But I look back and think about how naive I was. Most of the, the things you'll find in the book are things I learned after the fact, when I could look back and say, oh, I did this, but why? I don't know. Well, I guess I did this for this because there was no um, there was no information on how to deal with opioids at that time. Yeah. Well, Renee, why don't we take a step back um, and start at the beginning? And I wonder if you could just just explain to me about Bobby and how this happened. So give me sort of the short briefly about what happened to you and to Bobby. So I'll give you a little rundown on what happened before the book starts. And Bobby was in college. He'd been suffering from a back problem and back pain for a number of years. And when he was, um, I think it was a sophomore in college, he went to see a doctor and they prescribed OxyContin. And for Bobby, whose father was a recovering alcoholic, and who was an alcoholic for most of Bobby's childhood. And um, my grandfather was an alcoholic. My uncle died of cirrhosis of the liver. But back then we didn't talk about it. He was just funny, you know, grandpa, look what he's doing again. He's falling asleep at the dinner table. It was, that's when we kept it hidden. We don't keep it hidden anymore. More of our conversation right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. So, Bobby, was his back pain something that he was in hospital for? No, no. And they couldn't, they kept trying to diagnose this, and they they couldn't. And as you know, in the book, what, what was really causing his pain. So... 
after all these years, after all of his his, um, his disease of addiction, when he was with me, we we thought if we could fix that back pain, if we could fix the physical pain, he wouldn't want drugs. That's really how naive we were. I, I even thought, told my husband, oh, I'll only be here two weeks. Duke will find that pain. We'll know what it is. He'll, he'll be fine. And of course, you know, he stayed with me for 15 months, my husband and I. And so we, we, his back pain was not a physical pain. His back pain was an emotional pain. And once he identified that it was emotional and he was able to talk to his counselor, his pain went away. And, and what, what I think we've, I learned from this is that um, how powerful emotional and mental distress, what the toll takes on your body physically. And Bobby had been suffering because of the uh, disease in our family, because his father had been an alcoholic all his life. And, and he had no idea. And until he addressed those issues, he was not able to move on with his life. Yeah. I mean, Bobby had been in and out of sort of rehab many times before he came to you. And um, I, I wonder, you know, his family, his parents and father tried to help him, but couldn't. And I wonder if you could explain why the difficulties that they found in, in helping him. Sometimes I think family can love you too much. And it, it, his father, father and mother, they they tried. And, and Bobby is one of the, it is the most fortunate child, man now. But he he came from a family that had money, that was able to send him to rehab centers. Only one in 10 uh, people with addiction ever step inside of a rehab center. And, and he was one of those fortunate ones. And they tried very hard. They, my brother was in recovery and, but sometimes the best way that a family can love you is to let you go. And that's what my brother and and my sister-in-law, they, they finally did after eight years of many stints in rehab and halfway houses, some as short as three months, some as long as 13 months, all through his 20s. And nothing would keep him from going back to uh, relapsing, going back to um, the drug of choice. So he, he would be, he would always leave those and be effectively off the drugs. Um, and then always brought back back into them time and time again. Exactly. So what you realize is that, yeah. And so when he first came to you, and you because you said to your to your brother, send him down here. We'll send him to Duke. They'll figure it out quickly, and then the back pain's gone, and he'll be fine. But this began. You thought it was going to be a few weeks, but this began fifteen months where it became this incredible journey for you and, and for you all. And I wondered if you could talk to me about what that process was like, what you were learning with him, what he had to go through and what you had to go through. Well, I was terribly naive and ignorant. And I I just thought it would be easy to, to bring him to do, they'd fix everything. And, and like I said, fix that physical pain. Well, after two weeks, of course, I 
I realized it was not going to be that easy. As the book starts, I know you know that my best friend's son, he OD'd on heroin as well. Um, at that time, many, many, and, and still the problem is, I think it's 20, I think it's up 20% this year of, um, of opioid heroin. Um, I, I think, I have it written down somewhere, but it's it's skyrocketing right now. But back then, he was on drugs, and I, I felt like I had already been through it with somebody emotionally. I can take care of Bobby. But the night before he came to Durham, he stopped in Atlanta, and he tried to kill himself. He uh, was driving his truck up, and he he didn't think he – he just was tired. He didn't want to start again. And so that's what that's where we began with the book. That was the first step in, that we had to go through was to get through his near death by suicide um, to start his recovery. Uh, and so once he was with us, I, I was at a loss. Bobby, he wouldn't communicate. He was on so much medication that they, that he, um, he, he essentially was a robot. You couldn't right. see any emotion. He was on 13 different prescriptions when he left. And I, I find that baffling. Is that, that's not just for the back pain, right? Was he being prescribed for everything from mental health to pain to... Absolutely. You're exactly right. If he couldn't sleep at night, they were mm. they were giving him a, a drug. If he if he said my stomach's upset, they were giving him a drug. They and they never took him off anything. So isn't one of the big discussions here that there is a problem with the system that people are so keen to just it, you prescribe you onto different drugs? And so, are you seeing any changes in that? Are you seeing any forward progress of people trying to rein that in? I think with opioids, yes. But with others, I, I still catch myself when my kids say, you know, I have a headache. And I'm like, well, if you don't take anything for it, then don't come complain to me. You know, we we are our own pharmacy. You know, my mm -hmm. kids can't sleep. Well, you give them an Ambien. It, they, you know, they, they're tired. Well, you, let's pump them full of some caffeine. What, whatever it is, we we are very lax in in prescription and non-prescription medicine. And we're just a, a whole generation of pill poppers. You know, I have a headache or I'm tired or I'm, um, I'm up, I'm down. And that's what, that's what we use. And that with Bobby, it was opioids that brought him to that. But I think now becoming more aware of the opioid heroin problem. Yes. Have you changed the way that you now Say we take an Ambien or take something for a headache? There is no doubt about it. I am very aware of all of that. Not to say that drugs can't be used wisely and should be used, even opioids, as you said, in your recovery. You needed those. Those those were something that helped you recover. But we have to just be cognizant of, of how we use them and when we use them and don't just open up the, the medicine cabinet and say, OK, well, what do you, what do you need today? 
yeah, yeah. So if you look at those 15 months, what was the, I mean, it's hard to know which ups and which downs to talk about, but I mean, what was the journey like for you? Because you kept moving forward and then you would hit something and there would be a roadblock and then Bobby would go disappear. And what was that whole experience like for you? Well, it was a blur looking back on it. And the book, the book sort of condenses time, but really we had a lot of just normal days. But I, I, in the book, I, I write it with emails and journal entries. So you feel what I was going through at that time because I'm expressing it in real time. I, I couldn't go it alone. I knew that from the very beginning. Uh, at, once I saw him and I saw how sick he was and, and uh, I just I, I knew I needed help. And I, I, I don't know how I how I knew it, but. I knew I needed to be honest and open about it to help him. So, so I started with finding and building a community, which I know is something you want to talk about because the community in this book is, is the, is what, what helped Bobby save himself and, and, and maybe myself too. And so I, first thing I did was I reached out to professional help. I found Bobby, a psychiatrist who was also a drug counselor at Duke, um, highly acclaimed man and and so gentle and wonderful. And he held Bobby's hand as well as ours at times. And then, but that was Bobby's um, psychiatrist. I felt like I couldn't bring these problems every day back to my husband. He was, we were newly empty nesting and he just couldn't believe I had brought this, this into our house as he was thinking of all kinds of things we were going to do. And, um, and I know you, you, you read in the book, I, I finally, because I knew he was after several weeks, he was ready to, to just hand it in because it was so difficult and I, I had to plead with him to not make me make a choice. I, I, I said, please don't make me make a choice because I would choose my husband. But if something had happened to Bobby without me trying, I, 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 was, I just didn't know how I could live with myself. So he jumped in, maybe not all willingly at the beginning, but by the end, it, he was with both feet. And so my, I went to another, my own psychologist, and she was fabulous. I could go. She had me coming once a week. I would explain everything to her. She'd tell me what I needed to do, how I needed to do it. The pressure. That's the way I started the first community. Not everybody has or is fortunate enough to be able to go out and find medical help. But you have to find your community, whether you're finding it in AA or Al-Anon or um, it, with your rabbi, with your, your minister, with your best friend next door, whoever it is. And I keep saying recovery, you, you, you just can't recover in isolation. Yeah. I extended the community fam to family and friends. And uh, by, first of all, writing an email and just being honest. Now this Bobby was, had said, yes, I asked for his permission and I explained the situation. He was a young kid that accidentally became addicted from a back pain. He's here. We're trying to get a new start while we're at Duke. I was 
so surprised by the amount of outpouring from even people I didn't know well, because so many of us have been touched by addiction yeah. at some point. And so the disease has, um, so they, they came out of the woodwork. Did, and did one you of, have to have a conversation with Bobby when you said, we we need to go and talk to people. We have to surround ourselves with community because this is going to heal us. I mean, and did you find that Bobby perhaps didn't want to talk to anyone? Something you had to make him realize he needed to speak to people. Bobby was unable to talk to anybody for for several months. It wasn't until we started started um, whittling down the drugs he was on because the the drugs had so many side effects together and. Once we started whittling it down, I could tell his old personality. He is hilarious and he is so charismatic, but then he was just a robot. And the, also the drugs had made him gain a ton of weight. I've seen and, the pic. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. He was, he was just blown up and he, he's a good looking kid. And then, so his self-esteem had been hit by that as well. And he did not really buy in to this until he had a lot of shame because of his disease and because he had failed. He'd even failed at suicide. And he he would my friends would take him out not only to like basketball game which is a big ticket but they take him to Carolina games too and he he just he couldn't buy into it he had no emotional capacity at that time but he kept at it he every time I'd say so and so wants to take you for ice cream he would go once he started coming off the drug I realized that a lot of this was shame and a great story was when one of my friends Lee texted him because I tried to take myself out and give him more responsibility as time went on. She said, I would, I need someone to walk my dog. And he was so excited. I was, you know, washing dishes and, and um, he comes up behind me and he's like, Aunt Nay, Aunt Nay, you've got to hear this. Mrs. Uh, woman, she just asked me to walk her dog. And I'm like, well, you know, that's nice. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. She asked me to walk her dog and, and I'm turned around and I looked at him. He goes, no one has ever asked me to do anything since I became an addict. No yeah. one has trusted me with anything. Because it's not, you know, and you say all the time that it's not about the hardest part is once you've left rehab, it's what you give people after that. You have to give them things to do. And so I wonder how you would, what, what do you think is most important? I mean, Finding it is job is job important is physical exercise is a, a real schedule. Like what did you find that really he needed as part of that regime? Like I said, at the time I didn't know I was doing this, but we, we, we had a holistic recovery for him and it was all of the above that you just said, because I did realize that his recovery was just beginning the moment he left the halfway house or a rehab. He had been in for eight years. He had he hadn't held a job in that time. He had all these gaps in his resume. He had no job skills. He had no money. 
He had no friends because the friends he had, he couldn't go back to. He had no family at that time. His family had, they did the best thing they could for him. They let him go on. And he, so he was lost. So looking at why he decided to try to commit suicide on his way here, he felt he had nothing. And that's what we don't realize when somebody comes out of, they, they, they're given all the tools. They've learned all these things, but then they're put in the wild, you know, the world. And, and the first thing they say, well, I'm just going to go back to drugs because that's all I know. Yeah. It's funny because you said he can't go back to his old friends because, you know, they're the other ones who are doing drugs. And he moved to Durham to a new place to be with you. And I wonder if that, is that almost essential as part of recovery is physically leaving behind where you were and moving forward? I mean, is there ever a sense where you can go back, back again? He's, he's already gone back. And in fact, we'll talk about where he is now, um, hopefully later, but I think everybody recovers differently. What's good mm. for Bobby is not going to, it's not good for someone else. Bobby had not hit upon what it what it was that he needed. And what he needed was to be in a place. He, he's grown up in this in his hometown. Everybody knew him. It, as he said, no one's trusted me. They people put their purse on the other side, you know, because he has a mental disease. And I, I always laugh, I said, with a mental disease, if if I said I had lung cancer, my friends would be having a 5K. I'd have, you know, a freezer full of food. But as the old saying goes, there are no casseroles for crazy. When you have a mental disease, that's what people look at you differently. And, and they, they see, oh, they are an addict. You know, they're a heroin addict. And so... How, how do we change that? I mean, like... That's built into society. I mean, that's what people think when they see it. And partly that's because maybe addicts can commit crimes. They can go and rob places. That, that is where it takes them. So I, I kind of understand why who they are. Commit, committing crime. It's the only mental disease that is criminalized. That is not who they are. They have a disease. And it, things are changing. Just like we changed how to speak about breast cancer. When I was growing up, you couldn't even say the word. Now you're looking at bumper stickers that say, save the tatas. It's wide open. And domestic abuse, you know, your next door neighbor has a black eye, but of course she got it falling down the stairs. We're, we're openly talking about things. The Me Too you, um, movement is now changing things. There, I believe... The more we talk about it, like in this this podcast, the, the more it will change. But you have to talk about it. We'll be back in a moment with Searching for Heroes. We were talking earlier about over-prescribing people, and it is funny that to, to cure an addiction, yes. you can prescribe them something else. And I just worry where, where that stops. Well, it's it, I'm not a medical doctor, but... Apparently it works. And think about a diabetic. You know, you're they have to be on something for the rest of their life. It, this is if you think of it as a disease, 
their brain function has changed. They're given a, given a medication where they no longer need something, need an opioid or heroin to, to function. And I mean, why not? Everybody that has a disease is taking something to help them. Um, when you look back at uh, those 15 months, what would you say was the hardest, the hardest part of it? Oh, the helplessness I felt at times. And knowing the, the great responsibility I had, it, it, it weighed me down in so many ways. When you say helplessness, is that because you were doing everything you thought you could do and you still weren't getting through and you, you don't know what else you can do? No. And, and I, when you read the book, like it's, it looks like I knew what I was doing, but I didn't. I, every night I would go through my mind, what can I do tomorrow to try to connect or to get him to, to look at the world differently. And I just kept at it. And I, I, I never made him feel like he was inferior or shamed him for the disease and the community helped me as well. I could go play tennis and my tennis team was right there to help me. What can we do? I, I would go to my, like I said, my book club. I, I could go, even my dogs were part of my community. You have to find those people. They weren't only helping Bobby. The, the family member is every bit as affected by the disease of addiction as the, the addict. Yeah. It really did start to affect your community there. And I remember you talking about uh, going to the tennis court and being at the back of the court and basically unable to to do much because you were physically getting affected. I mean, talk a bit about the weight it did have on you because it really did bring you down. There was sort of effect yeah. on you too. Even though I was talking to a psychologist weekly and, and I always say that she was she was so important. Everybody has to have that person that it, they're help, trying to help someone with an addiction. Uh, but my my marriage was changing and my husband was he he was so good it, and I couldn't have done it without him. But it was changing us. We had somebody else in the house for my full attention. And you can't pour from an empty pitcher. I I had nothing left for, for Will because I was so tired. It wasn't until I tried to gain balance, until I realized I had to take care of myself as well, that it, I, I think I started to get more energy and feel that maybe we could do this. And, and it, Bobby was coming off the medication. He was still doing exactly like a robot, what I, what I would say. He had one huge setback where he ran away, where I thought he he may not come back. But when he came back, he came back with this attitude of, you, you believed in me. I wasn't going to come back, but somebody finally believed in me. He goes, and I am going to do my best. That really was where we started. And I, and I was like, I understand. I, I was a smoker. I, I, under, I was thrown out of the Duke non-smoking clinic three times. Uh, if you know or you've been around, it is difficult. The recoverer and the family member to work so hard. Mm. A lot of effort just, for one person. Totally. 
And I wonder whether, despite all the things you've seen and how hard it was and the strength that you found, whether you now see what you learned, whether you now see the world perhaps for for the, the strength of the community, for the things that are being ignored, like has it made you a stronger person? I, I believe so. I, when I was out talking about the book, people wanted to come and share. They actually, even before I, the book was published, I was stopped in the grocery store and, and people were saying, I, I heard and about Bobby and I want you to know my, you know, brother, he, he did and died by suicide and never told anyone. And, and now I will, because I feel like I, I can. I, I feel like others have given me that strength. That strength of openness has made other people come out and talk about what's happening in their family. And, and that has given me an, an immense strength to, to continue yeah. to talk about it. I have shivers going down me when you say that, because my experience, uh, I have experienced just the same and it was eye-opening you know so many people knew what i had gone through and injuries i had and what changed was that people started coming up to me and being more open and sharing things that had happened to them and maybe i'd never been led into that place in other people's minds but that is the thing that i consider to be the most amazing that people are perhaps open to you and and how that lifts you up and lifts them up when you're open about what you're going through that is strength that everyone needs and probably one of the biggest weakness we all have is keeping those things inside. And so I totally Speaker, feel that's exactly Speakers what I make you sick, especially with addiction. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. And, uh, it, it is amazing. I, I had a, I, I also had a, an acquaintance that had a son who was off at, I thought, um, school in Europe. But in fact, that child had been off in Arizona at a rehab center for, for months and months. But when that child came back, my friend, my acquaintance would put their arm around and said, well, little Johnny's been over it, taking a gap year, having a great time. What good is that? Little Johnny is being shamed, knowing that he is fighting like heck in Arizona to, to you know, to, to get well. And his mother and father can't even talk about that. They're they're lying because of their shame. That's right. And and you know, if you were suffering and if you were the person who was addicted, you can't get over your shame when your family are feeling shame. Like they they have to lead the way. That, that is it. That is one of the great lessons that I did learn by opening up myself because I come from a family of of alcoholics. And I, I, I feel like I had never addressed that myself because we didn't address it back then. No one addressed it. No one even talked about alcoholism. But now we know. And now we can't go back. We have to talk about it. And we have to talk about it like the disease that it is. I, I also very curious about your, your own strength, because not many people would have opened their arms and allowed their nephew to come in when he was really at the bottom. He had just tried to take his own life. And, you know, and you weren't all that close to your brother before this either. And yet you still said, put everything, including your marriage, you put everything to the side to help him. 
What, why could you do that? That is a great question. I, I may never really know the answer. I know I was terribly naive. And, but I also, I also know myself. I, I, that's who I am. I, I would, I'm the one that'll stop on the side of the road and pick the stray dog up. I, I feel like we're all in this world together and that we all need to make it a better place. And some people struggle. I've been hugely fortunate in my life. And I, I just feel like we have to look at things differently. And I knew my nephew from when he was younger and I knew he was a good kid. Something when, when he came, I didn't, I didn't know who he was then, but I, I felt like maybe I could reach him. Mm. But I think we all need to put ourselves out there. We all need to look at, at humans differently, whether they're struggling and try to, to be empathetic. And, 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 and we all struggle in our own ways, don't we? I, I just, I, I worry sometimes that the younger generation is getting more cut off from community and whether that's the internet or social media i just wonder whether the importance of the self is getting too strong and people are forgetting community and i, I don't know if you've ever worried about that i do worry about it i i try to tell my kids you you must get back to your community even if it's helping in the homeless shelter or chairing some fundraiser whatever it is that you can do and they're like, I don't have time. I have to work all, you know, I'm working every day. It's work, work, work. Uh, and so I have the same feeling. But I think if it came down to it, I think people are people. I, I would hope that my children now, after helping with Bobby, because they were certainly part of the community, that they might look at somebody differently and say, this person could use my help and maybe I'll, I'll take them out for ice cream. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the only way we can do. We need to lead by example because yeah, you've got to pass it on as well. You know, you've got to keep it passing it on. Tell me a bit about Bobby right now. How's he doing? Bobby is great. Um, as you know, from the book and anybody that reads it, a lot of people don't want to read a book about um, opioids and heroin, but this is a, this book to me, is joyous at the end where he he finally gets into um, uh, to get his master's in social work after he tried every school in the country because of course his undergraduate grades were not good he had these big gaps but he finally found someone and they took that chance on him and and that that was so powerful to me but Bobby also had to go out and advocate for himself and that was powerful too. He graduates top of his class, master's in social work. He becomes a group counselor. And then he kept going back to school. He has a, so many letters at the end of his name now. And I'm like, I don't know what all those are, but I know that that means that you have worked hard. Uh, he became a, a, his own therapist where he could do individual therapy. And he's, it's all drug and rehab counseling. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's gone on, he's in, in in administration where he is overseeing and running um, a rehab center uh, back wow. in his of Louisiana. And just, I'm just so proud and so thankful because now yeah. 
I've heard stories of how he has helped so many people. He is passing it on. Well, that's it. And and I think maybe no one else knows how to talk to someone who's going through it unless they've gone through it themselves. And so he can sit down with someone and say, I've been there. I know how hard it is, but look at me. I've I've come out the other side. And that's what's so strong. And in fact, one of my brothers has followed the same journey. And I mentioned that he had been in a rehab. He's come out the other side and he is now a counselor for for people. He's giving back as well. And And I know that makes you proud. It's there's nothing like it to to know where he came from and where they are now. If another Bobby came to you and he was in that terrible position right at the bottom, what what would you say to him? What what is the, the one message to get him moving? No one recovers in isolation. You have to find your community. And you can't you can't go to them. You need you you're gonna need support, whatever support it is that you that you need. And and like I said, community can be anything. It community, it can be a lot of people, it can be one person, different avenues. Even my dogs were community to Bobby. And it, it those things are so important to give back the self-esteem to eradicate that shame that they are feeling and and to treat it as a disease let them know you you are just you have a disease just like lung cancer it's just a mental disease we have to treat it differently yeah well well renee thank you so much for talking to me i think that's the perfect positive note to end on as well uh i think everyone who's listening you know just needs to remind themselves that, that there is there's good out there. There's such good out there. And if you work together and if you work as a community, you can yes. do anything. You can get over anything at all. Um, well done. I mean, you are a real hero, Renee. You, you, you know, you, you really saved lives. In my just- community. And I, I just want to say that those people that came that helped, it took the, it took all of us. It took the village. Yeah. yeah. So. Pleasure talking to you, Renee. Thank you so it much did. for the book. Uh, you know, really, I, it sends such an important message. And look, hopefully the opioid crisis can keep moving forward. And um, that's a problem that is not getting better. But as long as people like you are out there, then there are people that help save people. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Well, Renee Hodges uh, is a prime example of something we've spoken about time and time again. That is the importance of community, the importance of family. When nothing else was left for Bobby, when he had spent years trying to go through the programs, trying to get better, he went to the one place that he thought he could get help. When everything else was stripped away, he went straight back and he he found family, knocked on that door and really asked for help. And that's what got him there. And it is remarkable on the other side too, that no matter how difficult the situation could be, Renee opened up her arms She opened up her door and her family, and she took him in. And it didn't even go well at first. There were countless times where it felt Bobby wasn't going to get better. He disappeared, but she never gave up. And I think that kind of resilience you only really find perhaps in family. And speaking to her at other times, she would have kept trying no matter what, even if it was putting her own relationship perhaps at risk. And so we talk about community, we talk about family, and it is the community and family around Bobby, but it is also the community and family around Renee. 
she got through this because she was surrounded by amazing people. She was surrounded by an incredible husband uh, and also the people she reached out to. And I think it's, we will during this podcast speak not only to people who have gone through difficult times, but some of their carers as well, because they are people who need to be talked about and praised all the time. People who put their own lives to the side to help others. And in that sense, Renee is an absolute hero for doing so. I talked about it, Bobby didn't get through things the first time. Sometimes it took a long time. Well, that is something I feel as well that I felt when I was recovering too. There were days when I couldn't do something and I couldn't move and you were faced with an option. Do I, do I give up or do I keep trying to do it again and again? And surrounded by people, that's what I kept doing. And people would come in every day and they would say, you didn't manage to do that yesterday. Let's try again. Let's do it again. And I know personally how 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 much that helps. So look, if you've got a friend or family member who's going through something tricky, keep reaching out to them. Keep asking them how they're doing, what they need. And don't stop after the first time. Keep asking. They will eventually really respect you for doing so. And I think that's what makes communities strong. Uh, and again, look, this was about the opioid addiction. And we have spoken to other people who have been caught up in this as well. It is a constant battle. When I was injured, that was something that we talked about a lot because many of the people who had injuries like myself, they often end up becoming addicts as well to their painkillers as well. And the doctors were so aware of it early on. They said straight away, our primary goal is to get you off these as soon as possible. And I said the same to them. I said, uh, for a while, I would say, take me down off these. Within the first week, I was saying, bring me down off these drugs because I, I want a clear mind. I need to think clearly. And then a couple of days later, I would sometimes say, all right, lift them up again, please. I need it. But I think it's a strong, strong message that we now have to convey that you have to fight from the very beginning to want to be off them, to try and come off them. And so pleasure speaking to Renee. It is family. It is putting yourself at risk to try and save others. I think that is what a hero does. And in that sense, Renee, to me, is a real hero. Thanks for listening to Searching for Heroes. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.